Amen. Thanks for being here. Would you grab your Bible, turn to Colossians. Chapter 4. If you've been hanging out with us for the last couple of months only, you don't know, but we started the book of Colossians about a year ago, and then we took a break for the summer. We started our break around Easter because we don't honor the calendar around here. We only honor the thermometer, and at Easter, it already felt like summer, so we started a summer break. But we're going to, uh, to finish the book of Colossians this month, and then we'll start a new series or book uh, once we get a little ways into the fall. Colossians chapter 4. Here's the main idea for today, if you wanted to write it down and then stop listening. I just wanted to help you with that. Here's the main idea for today. Prayer is a weapon that fights for your faithfulness. Prayer is a weapon that fights for your faithfulness. See, I've been thinking a lot about weapons lately because we signed Jackson up for Taekwondo this summer. We wanted to be active, and he had been asking about martial arts, and, uh, and so we signed him up, and it was a good stewardship issue because it was buy one month, get two months for free, and so it was hard to resist. And, and so they gave us the, the printout of when his classes would be for his age group, but they said, we, but we want you to attend an introductory class so that we can teach him just kind of the way that we do things around here, some of the basic things so that he can jump in to his regular class periods and, and be, be fine and, and ready to go. And so that introductory class happened to be on a Friday about a month ago. And Fridays are usually my day off. And so I usually spend my day off one, doing one of two things. Number one, relaxing, hanging out with my family or working around the house. And this happened to be a working around the house type of Friday. And so I was out in the backyard doing a lot of landscaping because someone let all the plants die. Now, I'm not going to tell you who it was because it was me. And uh, I wouldn't want you to know that about me. So I was digging everything up, gone to the nursery, got a bunch of new stuff and and, uh, and, and was back there working all day. Well, we don't normally do things on Friday, so I wasn't thinking about Jackson's Taekwondo class coming up. I realized what time it was, and so I rushed inside. We got Jackson ready in his awesome uniform and his little belt, and that belt looks so great in the pictures and stuff, but it actually takes a long time to figure out because it's a correct, you know, specific knot. You can't just tie that in any old-fashioned knot. The people at the dojo, they can sniff that stuff out. And so I got on the internet, and I learned how to do it just perfect. And, and so we rushed off to to his class because at Taekwondo, you don't just get to roll in there whenever you want. It's about discipline and order and things like that. So I didn't really have time to prepare myself to be seen in public. So when I walked in to the, the martial arts place, I looked like I had lived a very hard life. You know, these people, they, they just look like they've been struggling for quite a long time and I'm dirty, but I'm thinking it's not a big deal because clearly I'm, you know, I'm, you know, been doing something hopefully that they can tell uh, is work. And you, the parents just sit on these benches outside of the main gym, you can look inside with one of those two-way mirror type things where they can't see you, but you can see them. That's all a parent's supposed to do. So no big deal. And so uh, Jackson and I are sitting there. It's time. The teacher comes to, to bring all the students into the, the gym area, and he lines them up, and they have to do this bow when they walk in. It's very cute and also masculine and awesome. And, uh, and so he, he gets them all ready in line, and then, then he comes back out, and he says, okay, parents, now you need to come in because in this introductory class, we want you to hear what we're doing and what we're saying and all those kinds of things, which is great, except for you're not allowed to wear your shoes when you go into the, the gym area. 
and I have not been work, wearing socks, why I was uh, working out in the yard and in the dirt, and um, they didn't smell because that never happens to me. But, um, you know, when I took them off, they looked like hobbits' feet. You know, I don't, I don't know if that reference lands on anybody. And so I had to do it because I couldn't be like the only parent that was like, no, I really don't care what you guys are doing with them. You know, all the other good parents are going in. And so I spent the entire hour kind of doing this thing because I couldn't decide which foot looked worse. And hiding one while I was doing the other, it was terrible. But naturally, I've been thinking a lot about fighting and martial arts and weapons because I can sign my eight-year-old up for a weapons class. Pretty cool and terrifying because one day he may turn on me, you know, as he comes into manhood. Um, but, uh, but I've been thinking about, about fighting a lot because every Monday and Wednesday I'm going, going to see this. The Bible actually trains us how to fight. Now, not in, an, not in the usual way that we think about it in our culture and in our daily lives, but it trains us how to fight, how to fight a very real enemy. That's exactly what Ephesians chapter 6 is. It even tells us what the armor is and what the weapons for that kind of warfare and that kind of fighting are. And prayer is one of those weapons. I mean, look what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So there are three elements to this verse right here. Prayer should be steadfast. It means it, it, it's, a, it's a Greek word, uh, proskartereo. Uh, it means devotion, focus, uh, continuation. And if you're praying, there should be devotion to praying. There should be focus in your praying, and you should continually be praying. It, it also says that prayer should contain thanksgiving. That's a Greek word, eucharistia. Uh, it was a common expression in, in the Greek culture of the time to be engraved on some kind of plaque, like a plaque for gratitude or thankfulness. Like when I would drop Annabeth off for preschool at the preschool she attended this past year, there was a big plaque in there of gratitude towards the man who had raised the money to build that preschool. I had his picture on it and everything. So that's a similar idea. There's an engraving of thanksgiving, which I think is, is very powerful here because not all prayers are prayers of thanks. Now you may be in a season right now where you're like, I don't have any prayers that are thankful. I'm in a season of frustration. I'm in a season of disappointment. I'm in a season of loss and pain. I don't feel like praying prayers of thanksgiving and praise. But what it's saying here is, it's not that the words have to be words of thanksgiving and gratitude, but that every prayer we pray, no matter what it contains, should be stamped and engraved with thanksgiving. Should come from a heart of gratitude even if that heart is currently in the midst of disappointment. See, Satan has an agenda for you. He has a will for your life, according to John chapter 10, verse 10, to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you. That's what he wants from you. That's what he wants from me. Now, he is powerless to affect and undo the good that has already happened to you in your life. Some good things have happened to you uh, uh, up until this moment. He cannot go back and undo that. But what he would like to do is he would like to steal your memory of that good in the midst of your season of disappointment. He would like you to think that God has never done anything good for you. That he's only ever been out to harm you. And God is in fact the one who wants to steal from you. So that in the midst of your loss and disappointment and pain and frustration, 
we end up acting and treating God and praying to God as if he's never done one thing good for us. But if all of our prayers have an engraving of thanksgiving, even if the words of our prayers don't contain that, he won't be able to steal the memory of the good of all that God has done. So even if you are in a season right now, which many of us are, where a lot of your prayers seem to be, I don't understand, and I don't know why you would do this, and I don't know why you would send this to us. It's still possible for thanksgiving to be in the DNA of those prayers. And then the last one, it says here, our praying should be watchful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It's a Greek word, Gregorio, to be vigilant, to stay awake, to be alert. A a prayerless life is like an unfortified city. There are no walls to protect it. So ideas, people, and enemies come and go as they please in our life. You know, many of us, I, I think in fact most of us, live a very careless life, meaning we care less about what comes in and out of our lives than we should. We don't give any thought to it. There's no filter in our minds. Is this thing that I'm participating in? Is this thing that I'm watching? Is this thing that I'm listening to? Is this conversation I'm a part of? Is there anything behind it? Is it a path that I I don't really want to walk down? Many of us care less about those things than we should. But when we pray, prayer of any kind, prayer beside your bed, prayers in the morning, prayers alone at night, prayers on your way to work, prayer of any kind causes us to become a watchman over our own life. Now I want to see, I want to show you in the scripture where that word watch is used a couple of times. So turn two places, 1 Peter chapter 5, if you have a Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 26. Here's the reason that we want to pray so that prayer can protect us, so prayer can be like a watchman over our lives. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because you have an enemy, and he is looking to devour you. Satan is always looking for an opportunity. That's reason number one, that you want to pray, and you want prayer to be a weapon to protect and fight for your faithfulness, because you have an enemy who is looking for an opportunity. Now, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 Jesus has just celebrated the Passover with his disciples. This is just moments before he's going to be arrested, beaten, convicted, crucified. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And when he came to his disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
And again for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So the first reason we want to pray and we need to fortify our lives through prayer is because we have an enemy who's looking for an opportunity. The second reason is because our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. Our, our spirit, that means who you are in your essence, created in the image of God, your personality, who you are, that's your spirit. Your flesh, my flesh, that's our humanity. That's a part of us that's twisted and broken by sin. And it says that that humanity, that flesh is weak. See, your flesh will take the path of least resistance. It wants to do what is easiest. You ever have just been sitting around and, and all of a sudden you, you have this urge? Like, I, I, should, I should read the Bible. I should go and read the scripture right now. And then you start thinking about like, what it will take to, to do that. Like getting up off the couch and then finding your Bible and then coming back to the couch. And you're like, nah. I'm fine. <laughs> or maybe leaving your house today, you, you drove by your neighbors and you're like, man, I should really invite them to the church. I think they'd really like it. I think it would be helpful to them. And I, I need to invite them. And, and then you, you get back to home after church and you're like, man, I don't want to knock on their door on Sunday afternoon. They're probably napping because that's what I like to do. And then plus everybody knows that you don't knock on their door. They're the rudest to the, the people, door-to-door people, you know, and I don't want to do that. And Because and if I made them mad, and, and then they would... They wouldn't like Jesus. And so for Jesus' sake, I'm not going to invite them to, to church. And The desire was there. And then instantly it's gone. That is, Jesus is saying the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, coming to fruition in play in our own life. Because our flesh, it, it just wants to do what's easiest. It wants to take the path of least resistance. It also wants to be a part of what is loudest, your flesh does. What is most urgent? What is yelling? What, is, what, what needs to be done the most? You know, we blame our busyness all the time on our culture. Our culture, our situation makes us busy. I think it's actually our flesh that causes us to be busy. Because our flesh, our humanity, we just want to be a part of whatever's loudest, whatever's going on. And you combine those two things. Our flesh wants to do what's easiest and it wants to be a part of what's most urgent and loud. And then you combine that with the fact that Satan is always looking for an opportunity. What we see is Satan is looking for an open door into our lives and our flesh is always leaving the door open. And prayer is what fortifies us. Being watchful in prayer, even though our flesh is weak, is what shuts the door to the enemy. Now we read this story. I mean, it's a very familiar story. I probably shared it with you in the last three or four months for sure. And we immediately go to judging the disciples, don't we? I mean, what a bunch of losers, if we can say that. I mean, they're in this huge spiritual moment. And what are they doing? Sleeping. And listen, it was a terrible time to be tired. I mean, it was very unfortunate for them. But I don't judge them because I have fallen asleep a ton of times in prayer. I hate to admit that. Not recently, like not today, but... 
I remember when I was in college, my, my church decided to do a 6 a.m. Friday morning prayer gathering for men. And, uh, and my pastor was putting it on, and, and I wanted to be a, a minister, and, and so did my college roommate. And, and we're like, we got to be a part of this. I mean, this is, we just got to do this. And it was one of those, like, I'm at church, and I'm like, oh, man, there's no place I would rather be than early in, like, the Jesus morning, you know, and prayer. It'd be awesome. So we'd set our alarms, you know, we'd set multiple alarms. This was before the days of iPhones, of course, so it was a real alarm. And uh, it took 30 minutes to get from our dorm room to our church, and we would wake up with 31 minutes to be there. And we would get in the car. I'd always make him drive because his parents paid for gas, and I had to pay for it myself. So I just thought that was fair. And uh, also it gave me a couple of extra winks of sleep on the 30-minute drive. And then we would get there, and there would be hardly anybody there. I mean, because it's 6 a.m. in the morning. And listen, I just want to put you to rest. I will never ask you to show up somewhere at 6 a.m. and pray. I'm just, I love you too much for that. I'm not even going to put you in the position to feel bad about not coming. That's how much I love you. Uh, but my past didn't love us that way. And, uh, and so we'd get there and it would be the, my friend and I, and then the pastor and like one other guy. And it was war time for the three of them. And it was nap time for me. Now I didn't want it to be nap time. I didn't, I wanted to get there and I wanted to just be fully engaged. But after about five minutes of listening to one person pray, like I'm gone. Like I don't, I'm in heaven. And I'm only hoping that one day God will reward me for my effort to stop sleeping in my dorm room and start sleeping in the church. I'm just hoping that there's some kind of minimal credit for that. No prayer happens. So I don't judge the disciples for, for one reason I've fallen asleep before, but also, I mean, you think about these guys there. This is an incredibly stressful moment. It's late. It's late, late. They're in a garden. There's olive trees all around. There's hardly any light peeking through from the moon and and you know, they're, they're not with the group anymore. Jesus left the larger group of disciples in one place, and then he took these three, Peter, James, and John, to another place. So it's just the three of them. And, and then Jesus went on to, to this other place, and they're stressed. They, they don't know exactly what is happening, but they know something is up. We see by their reaction to all of it that they weren't fully tuned in the way that Jesus was tuned in, but they knew something bad was getting ready to happen. Jesus had started amping up all his predictions. And again, they didn't understand his predictions, but they understood something was coming. And so I have a hard time putting myself in that garden in the midst of all those twisted up trunks of olive trees and thinking, no, I would have stood with Jesus. I don't know, because I'm pretty sure the same DNA and humanity floating around Peter and James and John is floating around me. And so I'm going to skip the judgment for them and just be thankful that we get to learn from their lesson instead of learning our own. But look at some of the words that Jesus said. Verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Look at this with me. Watch with me. Prayer fights for us because it keeps us with Jesus, which keeps us in the will of God. He had invited them into this moment, and it's a huge moment. I mean, he says to them, he is very honest with them. I am troubled. I am messed up. I am sad. And in fact, I am so sorrowful. It's even to the point of death. I am overwhelmed here, and I'm inviting you into this. 
He invited them in. I think I personally fall into this thinking sometimes, and maybe you do as well, that the idea is that I'm going to do my thing, and Jesus is going to do his thing, and occasionally our paths will intersect so that my thing and his thing is the same thing. Like for most people, that's exactly what Sunday morning is. We've been doing our thing all week, and part of our thing is coming to church. Jesus has been doing his thing all week, but here at church on Sunday morning, what Jesus is doing and what we are doing are finally the same thing. But hello here, we signed up to be followers of Jesus. Which means when you looked at the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and you said, I need that for eternal life. I need that for the forgiveness of my sin. Your things died. You don't have a thing anymore. His thing is now your thing. So whatever Jesus' agenda is for Tuesday, that's your agenda. Whatever's on his heart for Thursday, that should be what's on your heart. And prayer is what keeps us tethered to being with him. It's not that he will leave us if we don't pray. No, he's holding us in our hand and nothing, not even you, or your prayerlessness or my prayerlessness can snatch us out of the hand. He's not going to ever leave us or forsake us. But as far as being uh, tethered to his will, his agenda, being our agenda, it's prayer that makes that happen. Well, what do I pray? How do, how do I make that? It doesn't matter. Just the act of praying anything, anywhere, anytime fights to keep us with Jesus, which keeps us in the will of God. Verse 41 Look at what he says. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Prayer fights for us by neutralizing temptation. See, everybody is, is tempted. Everybody's tempted. When Jackson was about three years old, he's eight now, when he's, he was about three years old, he would hear us say like, man, that cake on the menu is really tempting me, things like that. And, and so for some reason he got it into his brain and he would start telling random people uh, that butter was his temptation and so it was just like the number one thing that he would bring out at that time like you just say hey, how you doing Jackson and butter is my temptation you know because he couldn't say temptation right everybody has a temptation everybody in here will be tempted there's nothing wrong with being tempted being tempted is not sin it's the opportunity to sin though and sometimes the gravity of that temptation blurs the line between temptation and an actual act of sinning sometimes the gravity of temptation is so strong it's almost impossible to resist but if you've been praying it's like it takes the teeth out of the temptation you will still be tempted if you pray but the hold that that temptation gets around your soul is less effective through prayer. Verse 45, Then they came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. Sleep and take your rest later on. Prayer fights for us by keeping our spiritual senses sharp. See, by the disciples sleeping through this evening, they're not just physically sleeping and missing a physical opportunity to, to stand with Jesus. They're missing what's going on spiritually. Why? They're sleeping. The sins of all of humanity, including yours, are falling 
onto the shoulders of Jesus Christ. See, we are a part of an invisible kingdom. And we have an invisible enemy within that invisible kingdom. And you cannot fight or serve with your physical senses. You need spiritual senses, which the Bible calls discernment. So that you can discern when the presence of evil is near. So that you can tell what I'm watching is what I'm watching, but there's also something behind what I'm watching that I need to keep from me. So that you can tell this conversation is just this conversation, but underneath this conversation, there's something else here that I don't want to be a part of. So that you can know that this one decision is one decision, but I can sense and tell that three or four or five decisions from now, I'm not going to like what I would choose then, and so I need to make a decision now. That's spiritual sense. That's discernment. It also lets you know when the presence of the Holy Spirit is active and moving among you, where God is working, who you should pray for, when you should pray, how you should minister, what you should say. And prayer sharpens our spiritual senses. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, With thanksgiving, Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, we see all of these in the Garden of Gethsemane in Jesus. We see him steadfast. He's devoted. He's focused. Three times he goes and prays. We see him watchful. On, On the eve of his sacrifice, it's no mistake that he ended up in this garden to pray. You're like, aha, though. We don't see him thankful. Gotcha. Well, that's rude, number one. (laughs) Number two, if we had just backed up a little bit earlier, you you can see the Thanksgiving, Matthew 26, verse 30, talks about how they get to that garden. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's where the Garden of Gethsemane was. So they're singing because Jesus has been celebrating the Passover meal. And from the Passover meal, we, we get the Lord's Supper, which is just a cup and bread. But this last night that Jesus spends with the disciples, it's a full meal, uh, and it's an ordered meal, and a regimented meal. And by it, annually, the Israelites would come together within their homes, and they would replay the story of the Exodus, how God rescued the Israelites out of slavery there. And by their food and the things that they ate, they would remember this story, and they do it every single year, and they do it in the exact same way. And so sometimes they would drink from the cup, and then they would pray. And sometimes they would drink from the cup, and they'd recite a part of the story. And sometimes they would eat and drink from the cup and then they would sing a song and specifically from tradition we know that they would sing psalm 113 through 118 within the course of that meal those psalms as a group are called the hallel psalms which means psalms of praise so you can imagine jesus and his disciples eating this meal in an orderly way and he jesus leading out in the singing now it'd be hard for us to sing the psalms because we've preserve the words, but we've lost the tunes, but they had the tunes as well as the words. And all night long, they're eating, telling the story, and singing. And if tradition is true, we don't know this 100% because the scripture doesn't tell us exactly what song Jesus was singing, but if we knew, we'd sing it every week, wouldn't we? But with tradition, the last song is Psalm 118, and I'd love for us to read it together. Would you mind standing to your feet? 
We're not going to read the whole thing. Just This is the way, if tradition is true, which biblical scholars think it is, this is the last words of the song that Jesus sang right before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's read it together. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast, watchful, thankful. So there's going to come an hour for you and for me where God the Father is going to hand you a cup and it will not be your first option. And you're going to say to him the same thing that Jesus said to his Father. If there's any way, let this cup pass for me. I don't want to drink from this cup. I want a different one. And for whatever reason, unknown to you, only known in heaven, he's going to ask you to keep that cup and to drink it all. And in that moment, when you're holding a cup, a will, a plan that you would not have chosen for yourself, you will be glad that you prayed. You will be glad that you woke up early before the rest of your house and prayed. You'll be glad that you stayed up late and when they were sleeping, you prayed. You'll be glad that when everybody else went on a walk for exercise, you went on a walk to pray. You'll be glad that you, uh, on your commute, you turned down the radio station that you normally listen to and you just prayed from your house to your office door. You'll be proud and uh, happy that when somebody says, hey, will you pray for me? You would have said yes and you would have responded to that text. You'll be glad that you prayed because what will determine your faithfulness when you're holding a cup that you don't want to drink It's not whether you feel like it in the moment because I promise you, you won't. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What will determine your faithfulness of drinking a cup that you did not choose for yourself is that you have been praying and your prayers have been fighting for your faithfulness all along. Standing guard over your life. So this week, don't pray because you have requests. Pray because you're in a fight. Because you're in a fight even when you didn't know you're in a fight. And because faithfulness matters. Like Jesus, your cup will result in good for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of unknown and unseen people. Father, we thank you for prayer. We thank you that it means something for us even when we didn't know. So I pray for every unfortified city in this room that you would rebuild the walls one simple conversation at a time. We confess Your words, Jesus, our spirits are willing today, but our flesh is weak. So give us strength that comes from somewhere other than our flesh. In Jesus' name, amen.